how do we care for our patients best? How do we deal with it as primary care providers and family physicians get the most information from them to help them in their own care in a short period of time that we have to examine them? Hi, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough, and welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. With me today is Pamela Wilson. She is a nurse care navigator, and she's really, I guess you would call it a caregiving advocate and educator. And Pamela, first of all, welcome to the program. And you know, we were talking about your new book, The Caregiving Trap, Solutions for Life's Unexpected Changes, and how you could approach perhaps what family doctors do and what primary care doctors do and how they try to extract that information from their patients to improve their care. Hi, Brian. Yes, absolutely. In fact, I was at a doctor appointment yesterday with a client, and it was a primary care physician. And a lot of times, my clients who are older, when they go to these doctor appointments, they want to dress up, they want to look their best, they want to present well. So many times, they don't tell the doctors what's going on. And so from a primary care physician, my advice is to ask your patients how their day-to-day life is going how they sleep, how they eat, if they have memory problems. Just simple things like that can help draw out the answers. I saw a lady today at a house, and I got there, and I knew she wasn't feeling well. She has caregivers. And I sat with her and talked to her a little bit, and I found out that she was constipated, you know, but I had to pull it out of her. And I imagine the family physicians have the same issues. One of the things we face, and I alluded to it at the beginning, is we are limited with time. Whether we like it or not, the way medical payment system still is designed largely is, you know, whether you do a procedure or do things, that's valued a lot more than the information we might get from patients. Now, it's getting better, and there are attempts to do this better, but considering we have the constraints we do right now, what sort of things do you suggest, which may not take a lot of time, but could help in, in getting information like that. Because you're right. I mean, all you need is a really good history and hit that one point and have somebody feel comfortable enough to talk to you, and it can make a real difference. So a couple of things, and maybe when the patients arrive for their visit, if they haven't done this, say, hey, you know what, it's 20 minutes before you see the doctor. Can you make me make a list of five concerns that you have? Or even better, if they can have a care advocate or a family member go with them who can help them remember what these issues are or what these concerns are, I think the visits might be much more effective. We talk a lot about that, about family members or care advocates. First of all, tell me a little bit about professional care advocates, and then we'll talk about the extended role of how family can help. So we serve as a professional care advocate, and sometimes it's just as a care manager, or we also serve as medical and financial power of attorney and guardian. So in those cases... Our role is to help our clients get the best care possible. So it's asking doctors questions that many times our clients would be embarrassed to ask. Or they see the doctor as this, you know, person that, oh, my gosh, I can't ask him questions because he's a doctor. So we ask the silly questions to help our clients feel more comfortable than talking about their issues. What type of questions would you consider silly? Is it, is it a wide range? You know, it is a wide range, and and sometimes it's things that people don't think to ask. So, for example, I had a lady who needed to go in for a mammogram, and then she had to go in for a follow-up. And so the questions were really about testing, you know, because they were saying, well, you know, you may need a needle biopsy, you may need that. And it was just helping the person feel comfortable to say, well, what is that, and why would I want that? And if I get that, what does it mean? So sometimes it's very simple questions, but people are afraid to ask. 
And I guess a lot of that goes back to the old doctor-patient relationship. We're trying to break that down, but and much of that might be also physician style. I mean, trying to get people to relax, but having someone else in the room has to be a big, a big way to to break that through. What about family members? Do you help family members become advocates? Do you give them tips, or or should we as as physicians be looking to family members and what's appropriate? We definitely give family members tips on how to communicate with healthcare professionals because a lot of times, and you've seen this, the same language is not spoken. So a healthcare professional may say to a family member, well, you know, you need your INR done every three weeks and blah, 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 and you've got blood issues. And the family member's like, well, what the heck's an INR? So it's helping our clients ask more educated questions to the physicians and not to be afraid of saying, hey, I don't know what an INR means. And then from the physician standpoint, if they do see an older adult that's failing, say, hey, you know, maybe can you bring your daughter next time or do you have somebody that you could bring with you that maybe we could find out a little bit more information? We even go to the extent of faxing physicians a list of issues before we go to an appointment so that if we've got that 15 minutes and we run out of time, at least he can see what's most important and try to address that. And we're talking about a very important topic, probably one that we don't talk about enough, and that is how to have a patient advocate for your patient and to get as much information as possible out of them. What are some of the things you see? I mean, you see a lot of physicians, you're in the room. What do they do sometimes wrong or maybe not, I guess, not as efficiently to get the job done right? So sometimes, I mean, obviously, they have to be a little social at the beginning. You know, that can take some time. And sometimes if they're not focused on why are you here? What are the issues? Some of my older clients will start talking about their pets and other things. So in some cases, it's keeping the patient on track to say, okay, we're here for three, you know, three issues, maybe five issues. Let's see what we can get through today, and then we can follow up. That's important from a physician perspective. And the other perspective is if they do have a family member or a care advocate, make sure you're talking to the patient. A lot of our clients will get very upset if the physician looks at us. So what I do is I have the physician ask the patient, and then I look at the patient, and if they're not quite getting the answer out, I'll say, is it okay if I answer that for you or help you answer that for you? Because that person should really remain in control of that appointment and feel like they're the most important person there, not me. You know, you you brought up something, you know, you think of yourself as a patient. I know that a lot of times one of the curses you have being a physician is you talk about what you do. I find myself talking with physicians about a television or radio interview or something. Before you know it, I leave and I go, wow, I didn't even talk about what I wanted to talk about. We talked about, it seems like everything but the issue and now I'm gone. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, for patients, if, especially if they're afraid or they don't want to talk about things, that could be a barrier. Especially if they're embarrassed, you know, a lot of older people have incontinence issues, bowel issues, that's embarrassing. The one I talk to with my residents a lot about, and, and I always try to talk about, is cigarette smoking. That if you don't bring it up, you know, patients will go home. Maybe their spouse said, hey, did the doctor talk to you about smoking? No, the doctor didn't think it was that important, didn't bring it up. That can, that can really cause problems, too. It's what you don't say. Mm-hmm. Now, when it's you're what you don't say, and it's the questions that you don't ask. And when you're there as an advocate, do you sometimes steer? Do you try to steer the, the clinician in one direction? Absolutely. And so I will do a couple of things, like like the one thing I mentioned. Sometimes I will send a fax in advance and say, these are things I want to talk about, but I don't know if my client is going to bring them up. And so if I'm in the appointment and we're not getting to those points, I may look at the doctor and say, I faxed you something. Did you get it? So that he or she can try to find that piece of paper and say, oh, yes, let me, 
you know, here's a question I should ask you, Mrs. Smith. Here it is. I try to do it in a very respectful manner, but try to get the topics up. You have to watch that out. If you, By the way, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and I'm with well-known care navigator Pamela Wilson. We're talking about care navigating, really about communicating with physicians, and most importantly, the ways we can communicate with our own patients. Your background is very interesting and very some sadness to it. You lost two siblings, both parents and nearly aunts, uncles, and grandparents by the time you turned 38. Did that that experience impact you and and guide you in the direction you're going? It did significantly. And and interestingly enough, when I was 17, I had a social work scholarship that I didn't take. And looking back, it was probably a good thing because I learned how to manage businesses and everything. And so when I had all those losses, you know, my first thought was, why didn't I do that? I call it help older people thing. And so I went back and I started volunteering and I got into it. But Definitely all the loss, definitely the things that we didn't know when my parents were ill, the questions that we should have asked. And I had a sister who was a nurse, and we were not asking the important questions about prognosis. What do these tests mean? What are the outcomes going to be? And I've learned that that is so important. And a lot of families don't ask those questions, either because you're just naive and you think your parents are going to live forever, or you don't want to know. That You know, you bring up something interesting, the fact you don't want to know. How much does that come into play? Because I think a lot of people really don't want to know. They don't want to hear the reality. They, they, they more, more or less would rather live with the thought that, hey, there, there's not that much going on. It's significant. Most people don't want to know. And that's, that's where we as advocates, I think, have an advantage because we do want to know. Because my feeling is if I have this knowledge and I have this information, I can help my person be healthier manage some of these chronic conditions, avoid emergencies. So for me, I'd rather know. And and when situations get complicated, we start asking primary care physicians, well, should we see a specialist? And in a lot of cases, if you've got somebody with so many complicated health issues, cardiac issues, diabetes, those specialists can be very helpful. Where are we going wrong in healthcare? I mean, you know, we talk about it all the time, but from your perspective, and you have a unique perspective, you're looking at it this way, um, almost like a super patient in a way. Where are we going wrong? What could we be doing better? Well, it's two things. You know, part of it is the patient that doesn't want to know or that just wants a pill to solve the problem. I think that we don't, from a national perspective, start educating about health and chronic disease early enough because the statistics are staggering. You know, by the time we're 50, most of us have a couple of chronic diseases and what I see happening is by the time somebody's in their 80s or 90s, if they haven't taken care of themselves, they have significant health issues where if we knew when we were 20 or 30 what was going to happen. So let's say if a primary care doctor says, you know what, you've got diabetes. If they explain to somebody, you could go blind, you could have kidney issues, you could lose all the feeling in your feet. If we talked more about consequences of disease, I think consumers and patients would be more willing to be proactive versus say, well, you know, I could take a pill to take care of that. Do you think we do a bad job in the media? I mean, programs like this, the media with news, is there enough education out there? I think the media does a fabulous job. I don't, I think that there can never be enough education. And I also think that it's got to start when we're very young. And I can go off on a tangent about high school graduation rates and all of that, but the education in the system, in the United States system, has to get better. Because better... The more education somebody has, the better off they are to not only advocate for themselves, but take care of their health. And statistics show that. 
there are so many 65-year-olds that can't read a prescription bottle or the doctor prescribes something and they're taking it, but they don't know why they're taking it. So health literacy specifically is very poor. You're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. We have a couple more minutes with our guest, Pamela Wilson, Care Navigator. Um, again, she has a book, The Caregiving Trap, Solutions for Life's Unexpected Changes. While we have a little time, tell me a little bit about the book and, and what you focus on there. The book is really a practical, you know, kind of early to end of life story. So it talks a lot about what we're talking about here, the effects of chronic disease, how it takes people out of the workforce how it makes people retire before they need to. And then the other side, if you're the care recipient, what's going on? And then from both perspectives, I'm a caregiver. How do I take care of my parents? If my parent says, I don't need any help, I'm healthy, I'm fine. How do I talk to doctors? How do I talk to healthcare professionals? And a lot of older adults will get Alzheimer's or dementia. So how do you manage through that? Especially when a lot of times parents are saying, you know what, Brian, I'm good. I don't need any help. I can take care of myself. And you see this as a train wreck waiting to happen. So it's what questions should you be asking and what should you be doing to advocate? I know when you deal with parents, and all of us have dealt with parents ourselves and, and those issues, especially as you alluded to with health issues, we tend to want to be the child. We, you know, we don't want to be parenting our own parents, but there's times you have to step in and, and perhaps assume that role. It's very important. Role reversal in caregiving is so significant. And The thing is, you've got to be careful how you do it. So you don't want to say to your parents, man, you guys are failing. You're doing horrible. You're not taking care of your health. You're not taking care of your house. Some kids go about it that way. That does not work. It's, hey, mom or dad, I see this happening. Could we help you? You know, what can we do? So you're going home for the holidays. You see that the house isn't taken care of. Offer to clean it. You see that your parents are having health issues. Offer to go to a doctor appointment with them. So it's more of offering to help versus coming in like a, a bull in a china shop saying, we're just going to do this. You, you don't want to really take over the world. You want to, in, in, in a sense, do what you can to assist them, which might be more welcome. Yes. And with with about a minute left, is there anything we didn't bring up? You know, you, you wish, boy, I wish he'd asked this question. We should talk about it. You know, it's just really to, for the primary care physicians and the physicians that are listening Find ways to get information out of your patients, especially older patients who might be depressed that are never going to say, I'm depressed, or who might have memory loss that they're never going to admit to you that they have memory loss. Those are probably two of the most significant issues that we see with our older clients that rarely get addressed because older patients don't want to admit that they're depressed. There's a huge stigma. And they don't want to talk about memory loss because it's scary. Pamela Wilson, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us on Primary Care Today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome, Brian. Thank you so much for having me. And for those of you listening, if you missed any of this program, you can visit ReachMD.com slash Primary Care Today. You can download the podcast. You can learn more on the series. Thank you for listening.